0: the truth is God is real the devil is real and there is so much more going on than we may even realize regardless if you're a believer or not or if church is part of your regular routine or even if you're not sure what to believe the fact is your life is part of a much bigger fight a fight for our homes marriages classrooms souls and our lives this is war everybody if you would Keep your hands together and help me welcome all of our first-time guests both in the room as well as online. We're so glad to have you guys worshiping with us. Well, as you can tell, we're starting something new today. I'm kind of excited about a series on spiritual warfare. It's gonna be a six-part series. Uh, I don't know if you think that's exciting or ominous. I'll let you choose which one you think kind of fits the mood a little bit better. But we're gonna have a whole lot of fun throughout this series, and I wanna lay a foundation for it as we get started. Let me just begin with a question. How many of you want to give a lot of attention and glory to the enemy? Nobody, good, and I'm glad y'all are paying attention because sometimes y'all just start thinking about lunch and you just raise your hands anytime I say a question. So I'm glad y'all were actually with me because that was gonna be a bad time to be wrong. But how many of you wanna understand what he's up to on planet Earth and what he's trying to do in your life? Come on, we need to understand. And so that's the dilemma we have In church, as we want to put all the focus and attention on God, which we're going to do, but we also do need to have an understanding of who the devil is and how his strategies work. And so that is our goal for this series. Um, Some of it is going to share, I'm going to share stories with you out of my own life, because for me, this awareness of spiritual warfare started really when I was in college. Uh, I went to a church that got me really excited about my faith. And uh, help me understand that God lives inside of me. The Spirit of God is in me, the Holy Spirit. And and that changed how I thought about everything. Like, no longer is it just about go to a room once a week. It's about God is with you 24-7. He's got a purpose for your life. He wants to do something through you in this world. And man, that got me fired up. I hope just that little bit fires up somebody here. And so as they were talking about spiritual things like the Holy Spirit, a lot more than I'd ever heard talked about. There was also some talk about the other side of spiritual things and the devil. And sometimes there might've been as much talk about the devil and what he was up to as there was about Jesus and what he was up to. And it seems like it'd be a little skewed at times. Matter of fact, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was in college, a friend of mine that I went to church with, his car wouldn't start. Now, when most people, their car doesn't start, the first thing they think is, I need to get the jumper cables out and ask somebody to help me try to jump my car, right? Because the battery might be dead. But that was not my friend's first thought. My friend's first thought was to get out of the car, walk around to the front of it, lay his hands on the hood of the car and start casting demons out of his car in Jesus' name. Look, I don't know if there was a demon in his car. And I don't, I don't know. You know I mean? Sometimes we have those things where like your car works six days a week and then it won't work when you need to go to church. Or like, I do believe there is a technology demon assignment. There has to be because all of the computers in our booth that run the lights and the presentation and the sound, all of that works six days a week without a problem. And then Sunday, it just quits. Like, why is that not working? We don't know, man. It it used to work, that kind of thing. So anyway, look, the the truth of it is we need to lay a good foundation for how we are going to talk about spiritual warfare. And and what I want you to know throughout these six weeks, we are going to talk about God in a way that glorifies him for who he is. And we're gonna talk about the devil in a way that calls him out for the loser that he is. Is that okay with everybody? Y'all on board with that? I, I wanna give you a little just fun tip Now, this is true every single time that we come together for worship. We have always chosen songs that are theologically solid and accurate for you so that as you're just standing and singing songs and you find yourself humming those throughout the week that you're still getting good belief about God. But we're going to take special attention over these six weeks to be giving you songs that have good theology for spiritual warfare behind them. We actually did that all this morning. I don't know if you were kind of catching that, but throughout the series, just just pay attention to the words that we're singing, because it'll help you understand everything that we're going to be preaching. All right, so you guys good with this? Okay, well, as I was telling you, I grew up with a slightly different understanding. The church that I, I went to growing up really didn't talk much about spiritual things. Matter of fact, didn't really talk about the devil either. Uh, When I was going to Sunday school, I learned some stories. One of them was the devil was in the beginning. The devil tricked Adam and Eve and, and created a big mess. So the devil was in the beginning, and then God's gonna get the devil back at the end for what he did and the trouble that he made. And so the devil was kind of history And the devil's gonna have a moment in the future that's gonna be really bad for him. But all of the stuff in between was act like Jesus, be good, go to church. Anybody ever been given kind of that picture of what life is like? Okay, I'm gonna mess that picture up really bad today or really good, whichever way you wanna think of it. But you won't be thinking that way at the end of this because it turns out the Bible shows us a completely different picture of what's going on in our life and in the world with both God and the devil. Okay, so we're gonna start with one example I'm gonna share with you out of Daniel chapter 10. And uh, he is uh, going off to pray and an angel comes and speaks. So check this out right here in Daniel chapter 10. Says, then he, the angel, said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I've come because of your words. I just wanna stop and, and make sure we understand what has happened right here. This is Daniel, who was one of the Israelites, God's people, who were carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. And so it's a very pagan culture, and some things are not going well. Daniel has actually risen to a place of authority in this kingdom because of his gifting and God's favor simply being upon him. But it's gotten to a point where he doesn't know what's happening he doesn't have wisdom about it. So he says, I need to go and pray and fast. I need to talk to God. I need to find out what's going on. And I need to ask God to show up. And so he goes and prays and fasts to talk to God. Now, some of us, have you ever heard of somebody doing a Daniel fast? Anybody ever done a Daniel fast? By that, what we might mean is we ate the same stuff Daniel ate. And so that way we have more than water and we may be doing that. But there's another thing we mean about that. And that is the length of time Because in the next sentence, it's going to tell us that he actually had to fast and pray for a specific length of time before the angel showed up to answer him. But I want you to make sure you get a very important understanding of this passage right here. The angel said to him, the first day that you prayed, we heard you in heaven. God heard you. He sent me to answer you. Took me a little while to get here, which we'll get to in the next sentence but from the first day that you prayed. So I wanna ask you a question. Anybody ever prayed and felt like God wasn't there? You you prayed and you feel like God's not listening, answers aren't coming. You're like, what is the deal? God, you don't like me, you're not answering me. Well, God's favor was all over. Daniel, if you ever go and read the book, but this next sentence explains what's happening. It says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. That's why we fast for 21 days, call it a Daniel fast. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Now, that's a strange sentence. So let me set the context of what's happening here. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You may think you do when you're driving in traffic. You may think you do when you talk to your boss. You may think you do if you're married. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We actually are wrestling against rulers and principalities in the heavenly realms. And so this prince of the kingdom of Persia is actually a demonic principality over the realm where Daniel is located. And so God hears Daniel's prayer. God says, angel, go answer Daniel, which, by the way, is really cool. I mean, I like when God answers my prayer. I would love if God sent an angel to deliver that message. I'm going to admit, hasn't happened yet. But it was happening for Daniel. And so the angel goes off to deliver the message and meets resistance in the heavenly realm for 21 days and is held up. But then to the rescue is really cool dude. He's an angel actually by the name of Michael. And uh, Michael is super cool. He's one of the three chief archangels when God created everything. There was Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And we're gonna talk more about Lucifer in a little bit. But Michael is the chief of the warriors. And here's the, the good news about Michael. If Michael ever shows up in your life, you are having a really good day. Or at least you're about to. You probably were having a really bad day if Michael had to show up, but Michael always wins. He's always the good guy on the good side and he brings the kingdom of God. It's just beautiful every single time. So once again, Daniel prayed, God heard, God sent an angel to answer. The angel ran into a spiritual battle in the heavenly realms for 21 days. Michael brings his army shows up, does what he needs to do, and the angel gets down there and, and finally talks to Daniel. I can imagine it going a little like this, like, Daniel, hey, man, I got something to tell you from God. Ooh, give me a minute, man, I've been fighting for 21 days. I'm a little exhausted. You're like, let me catch my breath here. So anyway, hey, 21 days ago, man, God heard you. Think about that. And what do we see? Well, the first thing we see is that there is a very real happening in real-time battle in the spiritual realm. You know, the second thing we see is there is a whole lot going on around us that we do not see. Let me give you another passage, just so you think, Jimmy, you can't preach off of one obscure passage. Actually, the Bible's full of this stuff. That's why I love it. But I'm gonna give you an example of the prophet Elisha. I'll give you his backstory too, so I don't have to read the whole book to you. So Elisha's a prophet of God. He's called by God. He's Honestly, already had a pretty hard life, you know. His, his mentor said, "Leave me alone, and don't follow me." So he had to chase his mentor just to even get mentored. It's a crazy story. We'll get into that another day as well. But so Elisha is is whatever God says to him. He's saying to the king, and so the people of God and Elisha is with the people of God. they're being attacked by the Syrian army. It seems like all throughout history, the people of God are just always being attacked, man. You know what I'm saying? And so the king of Syria is getting really frustrated because every one of his plans, his best plans, keep getting thwarted. So the king of Syria calls together all of his top advisors and he goes, okay, come on, we got a problem here. Because every time I decide to do something, they know about it before we do it, which means one of you is a traitor. Now tell me, which one of you is on their side? And their answer to him was, we're not traitors. No one is on their side except God. They have a prophet. (laughs) And the prophet tells their king what you're gonna do before you decide to do it, man. There is like no hope because God is with them and they have a prophet. So the king of Syria says, fine, forget Israel. Let's go get the prophet. (laughs) That's where we pick up this story. An entire army coming after one man. So, when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. Well, come to get one guy. That's serious. And the servant said, Alas, my master. I don't know what alas means. Anybody know what alas means? I, just, every time, I think that's the funniest word in the Bible. Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha's just kind of sitting there. I imagine he's got his legs crossed in his recliner, his little cup of tea, and he just goes, uh, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> now, the, the next part, the Bible left out, but I'm pretty sure it went something like this. The servant says, are you kidding me? Have you looked out the window? Can you get out of your chair, quit drinking your tea? By the way, what's in those tea leaves? What, I mean, what did you make that out of? Because I see something completely different, right? And so Elisha says, okay, fine. Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may stop annoying me. No, open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What do we see? Same thing. Once again, there's a whole lot going on around us that we do not see. And this is where we have to grasp a foundational truth for this entire series. If we're ever gonna understand what is happening in the world around us, if we're ever gonna understand what God is doing and what the devil is trying to do, there is a foundational truth. And that is that there is a natural realm. And in this natural realm, we can taste and we can touch and we can see and we can shake hands, at least we could before COVID. And that's the way we exist in this natural realm. But there's also a spiritual realm that we can't see maybe as well And we maybe struggle to understand what's happening in that spiritual realm. And we can't touch it the same way that we can in this natural realm. But here's the problem. We have got to understand that although this natural realm is where we function the best and most easily as a human being, and then there's this spiritual realm that's a little bit mysterious and difficult for us, they may be two different realms, but they come together to make one reality. We only have one reality. We we sometimes think that there's two realities. There's the reality of what's going on with angels and demons, then there's the reality of what goes on with me and my boss and my bad day at work. But they're not, there's only one reality. And that's why Elisha could just sit in his chair totally at peace because he knew that although his army was made out of fire and was from heaven that it was going to take care of the natural army that was outside of his window. That although his problem existed in one realm and his answer existed in the other realm, there was no disconnect because it was all one reality. And when we only see and think about and focus on the natural, we are literally living without half of our reality. We're missing out on so much of what is going on around us. And I'm going to just share with you because I hope somebody here is going to share the frustration I have because I understand that there is a spiritual realm that makes up half of my reality, the life that I actually live, I get frustrated by one thing more than most and I get baffled by one thing more than most. I get frustrated by people in the natural realm making decisions for my life who are naturally focused people. In some cases, only natural people because, well, they don't believe in a spiritual realm and they don't believe in a God in a spiritual realm and they've never given their life to the king of kings. And so when they make a decision, they do it as a natural being based upon the problem they see in the natural realm, based upon advice they get from merely natural people doing what is popular by the most of those natural people and they come up with something that I have to live by. Completely ignoring what I know makes up at least half of my reality and the one who rules it all. If you are frustrated by that, join the club. Because sadly, we should be frustrated. And we will be frustrated as long as we are believers living on a fallen earth. That's just the reality we're gonna face. We are gonna be frustrated. But the one that baffles me is when someone knows of both realms. When someone says, I'm saved by Jesus. The spirit of Jesus lives inside of me. I believe in a God that I cannot see or shake hands with. I believe that I have a future in a realm that I cannot see in a home that I currently cannot see. I believe all of that, but then I'm going to live my life as though what's happening here and now is the only thing that matters and what he has declared there to be true has no bearing on consequences in my life. I'm totally baffled by that. And I think this series will help us to kind of change that disconnect because the more that we understand what the devil is up to, the more that we'll understand the only answer is God and what God has said and does say is as relevant here in the natural and in the spiritual and our reality is one. I'm glad somebody's with me on that one. Let's get back to the war. How did this war even happen? Well, as I mentioned earlier, in the beginning was God, Now, this is a little bit before we say in the beginning, because in the beginning with humans, this was somewhere before that. So we're just gonna say real long time ago, God had created three chief archangels to rule in the heavenlies, and all angels were under them. Each one led a third. There was a guy named Michael. There was a guy named Gabriel. And then there was one named Lucifer. The problem is Lucifer wanted the glory that belonged to God. The only way you can have the glory that belonged to God is if you become God and take his place. Revelation 12 gives us a picture of what happened. It says, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. Can I get an amen there? And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So then what happens? The dragon became furious, and he went off to make war on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Here's the truth. There is a war, and you're in it. There is a war, and you're in it because it's a no-civilian war. Let me explain something that the Bible makes very, very clear Some of you may have objected to what I just said. Well, Jimmy, I don't regularly go to church. Matter of fact, I just got dragged here today or just accidentally went online because YouTube redirected me and and I don't know how that happened. And, And I'm not really there. I'm not a believer. I don't really consider all this stuff. So I'm not in your war. And I would say, oh, yes, you are, sadly. Because the Bible tells us that every single human is born a prisoner in the kingdom of darkness and that we are immediately transferred upon making Jesus our king. When the spirit of Christ moves in, when we recognize that Jesus died for us so we wanna live for him, that's what the Bible says, he died so that those of us who live may no longer live for ourselves, but live for him, right? And so when we make that change in our lives, that whatever day, whatever time it was for you, when we make Jesus our king, we are immediately transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. And that's some really good news, right? So here are the two choices we have. We are either a prisoner in the kingdom of darkness, which means you're still in the war because you are a prisoner of war, or you are a soldier in the kingdom of God, which therefore means you're in the war. Why? Because the devil went off to make war on anyone who follows the commandments of God and holds to the testimony of Jesus. There's no middle ground. People, believe there's a middle ground. Christians like to believe there's a middle ground, especially like comfortable Western American Christians. Like this is just the world we live in. We've got the idea kind of like Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings. Are there any Lord of the Rings fans in here? You know what I'm talking about? All right. So you've got like this angelic kingdom with the elves with their special elvish language and everything and I guess that's like speaking in tongues or something like that weird you know what I'm saying and then over here we've got the demonic kingdom where Sauron and the orcs are and everything is dark and ugly and whatever and then we've got middle earth where all of us good little hobbits live and we have delicious food and second breakfast and fireworks and it's a great life that we live (laughs) together and if you've never read the books or seen the movies go do either but we get the idea that there is middle ground. There's the kingdom of darkness where people dance around campfires and sacrifice kittens. And then there are the people in the kingdom of God and their pastors and they pray all day long or they're prophets and they carry a Bible under their arm everywhere they go. And then there's just the good red-blooded Americans and every other person who loves cheeseburgers and fireworks. Civilian land. There's no civilian land. You are either a prisoner and the losing side, and we'll end up a casualty of war. Or you are a soldier in the kingdom of God, and you'll end up a victor. But you are either a prisoner or a soldier, and those are your only two choices for right now. And if we could just imagine the way many Christians live. So we're here at Fort Jackson, which is a basic training base here in Columbia, South Carolina, because we've got people all over the world online. And so if you've ever flown in or out of our airport here, you always see this group of young little 18-ish year old people who the army has gotten flown all the way to the airport and a soldier is going to pick them up at the airport and then take them over to the military base and take away their hair. (laughs) And if you can imagine one of these soldiers who is already enlisted in the army, maybe their parents just said, you've got no choice. Who knows what got them there, but they are enlisted in the army. If you can imagine that soldier, and, and they, they hand them a uniform, and they say, I, I, don't, I don't like this color scheme. It's not good with my complexion. I don't think I'm going to wear this. Let's go get your hair cut. Oh, no, 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 I've, I've worked on these locks a long time. I, I don't think you could have those. And you need to be at PT in the morning. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not going to work with my sleep schedule. Can you imagine what's going to happen to that soldier? So can you imagine what happens to a Christian who functions like they don't need the sword of God, they don't need the clothing of righteousness, and they don't need to identify with Jesus every moment of their life and understand that there's an enemy out to get them? That was for free. I just got excited. So what do we do if there's a war and you're in it? whether you want to be or not. I think Peter gives us the best answer. First Peter 5, 8, if you've ever wanted to memorize a verse, put this in your top 10 list. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He told us two very important things there. The first one is to be sober-minded, and the second one is that we have an adversary so what does it mean to be sober-minded? Went and did a little research on this. The word itself is really not surprising or complicated. It says more than be sober, though, because we understand the idea of being sober-minded would have something to do with being not drunk, being self-controlled. But it's not about just don't have so much wine that when the devil shows up, you can't punch straight. You know, it, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say don't be drunk. It says, and not just don't be sober. It says be, sorry, do be sober. It says be sober minded, meaning that your focus, your perspective, your mentality has to be in touch with the very thing that you're trying to get away from if you are not sober. If you're not sober and you don't want self-control, the thing you want to get away from is reality. If you ever talk to somebody who likes to drink until the point that you would call them drunk, it's because they don't wanna be in touch with their current reality. So being sober-minded means to have an accurate perspective of the reality in which you live, where there are two realms that come together and the actions in either realm have consequences in the other. That's being sober-minded. Let me give you an illustration. Do we have any veterans of war in the room? I know we do just because of where we're located. You're a veteran of any war at any time. Okay, here's the deal. You see, a soldier who went off to war lives differently from a civilian and have incredibly different expectations than a civilian has. See, in our civilian Christian mentality, we have this idea, well, I love God and, and, and I go to church, so I try to be a good person. Therefore, my life should be easy. It should be comfortable. It should be convenient and nice. It should never rain except after I get in my car. And I should never have a flat tire on a rainy day. And no one should cut me off in traffic so I don't have to say, God bless those people. And so, you know, I should have just a good life. My boss should give me a raise because I made Jesus my king yesterday because now that I am following God, everything is gonna be great. And so we we expect our civilian life to be comfortable. And we get all focused on things like, well, honey, where do you want to go on vacation this year? Because that's a big decision where we're going on vacation because vacation is expensive and we only get two weeks off. So we've got to make sure we get that one right. A soldier, on the other hand, who is deployed, is living on a compound. And then they have to go on a patrol. And as they go out on patrol, they know that their life is in danger. And, and if a soldier were to go out and and let's say that four of them got into a Humvee and they went out to do their patrol and, and someone shot at them and hit all four tires, and their four tires are flat, they would have a very different reaction from a civilian in this world. Because if we're driving down the road, and someone has dropped a box of nails in the road or even worse, some uh, annoying little teenager who just wanted to like be miserable to adults did some evil thing and threw a box of nails in the road and you run over them and you get four flat tires and you've only got one spare and it's raining and you didn't renew your AAA membership. You say, God, why aren't you good to me? Seriously, now I'm going to be late getting home. I'm not going to be there for dinner. Everything is a mess. And I got to stand out here in the rain. And I don't even know how to get four tires changed. I can do one, but I can't do four. What a horrible day. God, why aren't you with me? But those same soldiers, when all four tires get shot out, go, God, you are so good. Only flat tires. We could have run over an IED and been blown up. We're all alive. The worst thing that's going to happen to us is we're going to be late getting back for spaghetti at the compound. God is good. See, if you're a soldier, you look at your life very differently than if you're a civilian, which leads to the second part of what Peter was saying. Be sober-minded, and the very key part of being sober-minded is to expect resistance. He declared war on you. Anybody in here competitive, like you love to win all the time, super competitive people, good. This is easy for you. If you did not raise your hand, this is hard for you because you're one of those people who goes, oh, it doesn't really matter who wins. It's okay. I just want to enjoy the game. Well, the devil wants to win, and he's not here to enjoy the game. And you're going to have to at least develop some competitiveness in the spiritual realm because he's out to get you. Let me explain the problem with our civilian mentality you know, some of us, sadly, when, when you made Jesus your king, whoever it was, if it was in a church and somebody preached at you or if a coworker had been talking to you and led you in a prayer, whatever it was that got you to that point, someone occasionally, in my opinion, misrepresents what it means to become a believer because they will, they will stick in there this, oh, your life is such a mess right now, but if you'll give it to God and it implies your life will be easy. Well, typically the opposite happens. And if you've ever wondered, wait a minute, if I'm following a good God and trying to live the right way, why is my life getting so messed up? Because it was a whole lot easier to be uh, you know, lost and, and not believing in God and not trying to worship God. It was so much easier. I'm gonna give you an illustration that I didn't come up with because pastors have used this forever. It's like one of our go-to illustrations. We all preach it at least 20 times in our career. <laughs> but it goes like this, and it's a football analogy if I could go there. If you're in the stands watching a football game, the people in the field, on the field, they don't care about you. Sorry to disappoint you. I know you paid a lot of money for that ticket to the Carolina Panther game. Probably going to lose, too bad. And I'm a Panthers fan, so it's just our, our misery. But anyway, the point is, they don't care about you. No one on the field is going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, at the beginning of third quarter. Because Bob went off to get a hot dog and hasn't made it back yet. No one is gonna be on the field yelling, we can't start yet. Bob's still in the hot dog line. It's all about Bob. Nope, they're not gonna do that. They're gonna go ahead and play. They don't care if you get in your car and go home and miss the greatest comeback ever. They don't care about you. If you wanna spend your life watching what is happening between God and the devil and believers, you're gonna miss out. If you happen to be on the team, but not on the field. They still don't care about you a whole lot. At the start of the third quarter, no one has ever yelled, we can't start yet. The third string player is still tying his shoes. They don't care if you're on the bench. But here's what happens if you're on the field. You see, there are 11 players for each team. That means one-to-one for the math people. And so what happens When you step onto the field and you've got numbers on the front of you, somebody on the other side gets assigned to your numbers. The minute that you get in the game, somebody on the other side says, you see that, that man or that woman right there wearing number 22? Good, get in there and your only job is to stop them. Whatever they think their life is supposed to achieve at this moment, you stop them. If they are there to run and catch a ball, your job is to catch it before they do. If they are there to run really fast, your job is to run faster and knock them down. If they are there to let nobody by, your job is to knock them down so somebody can get by. I don't care what they think they're here to do. Your job is to stop them. The devil has declared war on you. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree to it, but you are no longer a civilian because war has been declared on you because you made Jesus your king. You got numbers, you got in the game. The devil now has your number. He's after you. He is still prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's why Jesus said, look, if they persecuted me, get over it, they're gonna persecute you. Stop expecting an easy life. In this life, you will have tribulations. You're gonna have difficulty. And that's why it's good that we understand a series like this, because and it's gotta be longer than just one part because today we're just getting awakened to the reality of this warfare. But throughout this, we're gonna learn how to to thwart everything the devil has planned for us. So so come back for all of that because it's gonna change your life, I do hope. Think about Elisha. I mean, Elisha, we just read about him. Here's a dude who's gotta be a prophet. Prophet's always had a hard life. He's already got a hard enough life and he's just doing what God put in him and he's just doing what God tells him to do. He's just saying what God says to him and now he's got an entire army coming after him. Learn the lesson. If you choose to live your life for the glory of God and use the gifts that God put in you to advance his kingdom, expect to wake up and see an army every day. Expect resistance. (laughs) Stop being surprised. Let me give you some good news. There is a war and you're in it. But God won and Satan lost. I didn't say might lose. He's already lost. Jesus already died paying the penalty for sin. Jesus already rose again, giving us victory over death and the power of sin and eternal life. Jesus has already conquered the devil. The devil's already lost. Check out what it says in Revelation because this will explain why. If the devil's already lost and he knows it, this will explain why we struggle so much. It says, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. He knows. He's not expecting a different outcome. He knows he's lost. So why doesn't he just quit, give it up? And the simple answer is because resigning to the purposes of God is not in his character character. We would never even have had this problem if that was in his nature. If he had the ability to resign to the purposes of God, acknowledge the greatness of God. Nope. The best picture I can give you of why the devil is still taking shots at you and me today, knowing that he's lost. I'm I'm gonna have you imagine a movie with me. I'm assuming everybody in here has seen at least one good guy versus bad guy movie. Whatever it is, whatever the setting, it doesn't matter if, if it's an old country, like Tombstone, Western kind of movie. if It's a modern Jason Bourne kind of movie. Whatever it is, good guy versus bad guy. I want you to imagine as you're watching this movie, used to movies were predictable and the good guy always wins in the end. And so there was a car chase followed by a gunfight. And the good guy, either the secret agent or the police officer or the, the ranger, whoever, whatever, shoots the bad guy, and the bad guy goes oh, and falls down dead. Somewhere about 20, 30 years ago, Hollywood started figuring out it was a little too boring and predictable. So they started ending the movie the way the devil does. You ever watch one of those movies where they do the car chase and then they do the gunfight and the bad guy looks dead in the background. And while the, I say good guy, bad guy, bad guy, I'm not sure what I said, but anyway. And so the good guys are up here and they're all high-fiving like it's all over. And we're watching and then we start shouting at our TV. He's moving. Because the bad guy who's laying on the ground has to reach that convenient three inches for his gun and with his last breath pulls the trigger one more time at you. The devil knows he's lost. He knows he's going down. He just wants to see how many of us he can take with him. And when we aren't sober-minded and we walk around with a civilian expectation of a of an easy life, comfortable life. God is good, so all is good. My life will always be happy and roses. When things start playing out where the devil is seeking someone to devour and when he's just taking shots at you on his way down just to see if he can get you to go with him and then you start to say, God, why aren't you good to me? And then your faith becomes a casualty in this war. You gotta know there's a war and you're in it. You have to expect resistance. You have to get used to the idea that there is a force of evil that wants to stop you. I'm going to tell you again, I don't know if there's a demon that kept your car from starting at that moment, but as pastors, we understand there's a little more resistance simply because of what we do for a living. We expect it. I expect and hope that I've got the devil's attention. If I don't have the devil's attention, I'm not sure what I'm doing, but I expect that he's not gonna like some things I do. And so I'll just tell you a little kind of anecdote, an anecdotal joke, so to speak. This is a very true story, though just happened this past week. After Easter, pastors call each other all over the world. Hey man, tell me about your Easter. Because the Easter is a big deal. Because no matter what anybody preaches any other Sunday, no matter what people believe with their all-confused theology all around the world, no matter what their denomination, no matter what church, no matter what culture, no matter what language, every person comes together, every preacher, anywhere in the world, one day to declare the gospel in the most clearest terms. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, the devil's defeated. And let me tell you, when every preacher on planet Earth agrees to come together for one day, also the day where the most guests show up to church, and on that one day, to remind the devil of his worst moment ever, oh, let me just tell you, Easter is rough. But the good news is, we just expect resistance. And so we actually call each other on Monday to find out how we can feel good about our own lives because somebody else had a worse Easter than we did. I called one guy. He's like, well, everything was great. It was perfect right up until we started the service and all the computers just died in the room. We couldn't do a thing. I called another friend of mine. I thought this was funny. And, uh, he was, he was trying to do like a big cookout for the whole community, invited the whole community. They had like these three pigs. They were going to put on these spits and like smoke them all night long, have a big old country barbecue. It was going to be awesome. And, uh, just a few hours on Saturday night before they had to put these things on the grill, barbecue back guy calls him up and says, hey, man, I, I, I got COVID. I it can't come around. I can't cook your pigs. And then, I mean, it was like a, three pigs, y'all. You don't do this on your little Weber backyard grill, just so you know. And uh, guy says, you're gonna have to go and do such. He's like, man, I don't even know how to light charcoal. Like, I've got one of those push the buttons and it comes, you know, flames come up, like, well, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to have to go get those pigs on ice because they're not going to be any good. you know. So he's got to go figure out how to lift three pigs and get them on ice. And right as he gets in the car to do that, his son cramps over with such intense pain. He has to forget the pigs and take his son to the hospital to find out that his son needs an emergency appendectomy while he gets the pigs on ice and finds somebody who knows how to light charcoal because he wants to talk about Jesus the next day. And I laughed at him. Any other day of the year, I would have said, ha, dude, I feel so sorry for you. But on Easter, I laughed because we expect resistance. We're all actually expecting to see who's got the best Easter story with making the devil mad. And then I was dumb enough to go and do a six-part spiritual warfare series talking about the devil and teaching you how to thwart his ways right after Easter. Anybody want to guess what my life has been like lately? should pray for your pastor. So i end with a question. A question that I hope is challenging at the least. A question that I hope will shake us. A question that'll be a little disturbing even. It's only a few weeks ago we had a headline again of a mass shooting in a Boulder grocery store followed a few days later by several shootings in Atlanta followed by And all those were preceded by. Some of us are old enough to have lived through the World Trade Center attack. Some of us remember even larger numbers like the Las Vegas shooting. And in every one of those stories, something's involved, like a gun or a bomb. We'll talk about the mental state of the individual. We'll talk about some of their rants on Facebook and maybe their affiliation with an organization. And while all of that is true in this natural realm, it makes up only half of what's going on in our reality. So the question for you is, what if? What if the church stopped thinking it's the FBI's job to stop evil. Because every one of those acts, while they may play out in the natural realm and have a natural cause, there's a force of evil behind it. What if instead of praying that neighbor away, we started inviting that neighbor over for dinner you know the one that scares you a little? The one that you think could make a headline someday? What if, instead of keeping our distance, what if we made it our mission to keep this person from becoming an agent of evil by introducing them to Jesus? Just what if? have any young people in the room, teenagers? What if that weird kid at school that you think may grow up to be a headline? What if you didn't treat them like the weird kid, but you made it your purpose to make sure they lived Jesus' purpose for them? What if? What if we stopped waking up every day wanting green lights, smooth rides to work, short lines at the restaurant, and a good summer vacation like every other civilian? What if we woke up every day expecting to get shot at? Not being surprised. Not letting it damage our faith. And what if we lived every day on mission to thwart the purpose of evil on planet Earth? So I leave you with, what if? I want to close by talking to those of you that may have gotten offended when I said, if Jesus isn't your king, you're a prisoner in the kingdom of darkness. It's, it's, a, it's a reality. I didn't like it when I first heard it. You may not like hearing it right now, but until you are rescued from that kingdom of darkness by the sacrifice of Jesus, until you reach out and take the free gift of salvation offered to you, you remain a prisoner. The good news is all you have to do is say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me and exchange the life you've been living for the one that he has for you. Get in the game. Your life might get harder, but it's a life worth living. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do that. Right wherever you are, right here, right now, would everybody pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Help me celebrate with them, everybody. Amen.